0: Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats Cast number 112. I'm Jeremy, and as always, I'm joined with my two co hosts, Ed Wynn of UnnamedGameshop.com and Jim Caselli of CoolStuffInc.com. This cast as always is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a sweet 25% buy list bonus, and their brand new awesome content on their website. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. This week, of course, we do have a special guest. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hey, how's it going? It's Josh Wolf, one of the owners of Tokyo MTG. I do a lot of work with Moose Loot as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, so we have uh, Josh phoning in this week. Uh, You can see him at basically every Grand Prix, just like Ed. And speaking of every Grand Prix, how was Prague, Ed? Did you have a fun time? Are you bright-eyed and chippy after that lovely amount of travel? Could not have had more fun. And that is the classic Ed that we know oh so very well. Jim, how has your week been?
2: Uh, Well, it's Monday, so it hasn't had a lot of time to mature, but it's starting off okay.
0: And Josh, what are you getting ready for?
1: I am prepping to go to Richmond and then head to Detroit and fly to Hong Kong right after that. So you are
0: clearly bringing as many standard commons and sleeves as you can right yeah that, that's what i'm getting from this right
1: is, is that what's supposed to be happening no that's definitely not what's happening
0: yeah um it's going to be interesting to see especially for some of the back-to-back grand Prix, how many vendors bring commons and uncommons and sleeves and all that because turns out you don't have that much space to fly around the world with stuff who would have thought ed um for GP Prague, was there anything specifically that you noticed going on, or was it just a normal GP and everyone was doing their own thing? Were there a lot of vendors there? Were there a few vendors there? Was arbitrage a thing? What was going on? Um,
3: I already don't remember.
0: Uh, it was pretty much just like any uh, every
3: other like European Grand Prix. Um, there was nothing like terribly exciting. Like like a lot of the same opportunities are still there you're able if you're able to like get in and buy at the right um buy at the right times like there were a lot of things that were going around in large quantities um other than that like there was nothing like exceptional i think it was just kind of addictive like end of the summer um which matters less in europe mainly because people seem to like people in europe just seem to be on vacation year-round but um like the prices are like it feels like they're kind of reaching their their bottom point. Um people didn't really say no to cards, uh on any offers we made. It was just kind of a free for all for buying. Um other than that, like it doesn't really seem like there's too much going on. Modern's modern people are clearly excited to play the format. Uh mainly because this is the first modern tournament we've had post pro tour. Um other than that, I don't think there's anything that was too, like, phenomenal or
0: out of the ordinary. Yeah, that's something I wanted to touch on this week. Um, I'm seeing a lot on Twitter. You can buy Nierman Underground Seas for, like, $510, $515 now. Uh, Ryan Bichard, formerly of 95 MTG, was talking about um, they had guys cradles in the case for under 300 and no one was touching them this weekend. Uh, Josh, as one of the other big buyers at Grand Prix besides Ed, what do you, what are those, the reason that you're seeing duels get so cheap all of a sudden, guys cradles get so cheap all of a sudden, is it because of overstock or are you just going to reduce your buy list on these cards? Uh, cause you don't want to commit so much capital at Grand Prix? like, what's the, what's the strategy here?
1: So honestly, when we did uh, Grand Prix while wow, I'm drawing a total blank, uh, Minneapolis, was what, two weeks ago? Uh, We actually just said, our buy list is not gonna be good on stuff above $50. The liquidity is so low compared to what it was three months ago. Everyone's trying to dump the large stuff now because they're trying to get these top dollar numbers and it's just not reasonable. I would rather move 100 copies of a $20 card than sink the capital into a piece of power or an underground sea at this point.
0: And Ed, are you guys following the same approach or Is it that you have too many and you're trying to liquidate? Uh, It's not the issue of trying
3: to liquidate. It's more like trying to keep the prices somewhat stable. Um, Like, a lot of vendors are in a boat where if they did buy a lot, they're forced to turn over their cards. Probably, like, depending on what they bought in that, they're either going to, like, make very little, break even, or probably take a slight loss, just kind of guesstimating based on what people are buying um duels at like towards the beginning of the summer in like in vegas. june kind of in kind of the june like lead up to las vegas yes um yeah. so now like if they if they're flush with that um they're like probably they're probably trying to turn it over the only problem is that if you're doing that you're basically creating any opportunity to be able to make money on again in the future because every vendor is just trying to like drive the price down, especially the ones that have had multiple GPs or whatever, or they just have too, they just have too much inventory and they're basically just needing money now. So,
0: yeah. So we've seen a couple guests as far as social media goes, we've had Mike Caffrey of tales of adventure on the podcast a couple of times. I know that he recently sold a stack of dual lands at, um, one of the Southern GPs or Gen Con, I believe, uh, to, uh, I think it was kid Icarus. Um, So is that the approach you think a lot of vendors are going to take where they're going to offer like a wholesale number to like people flush with cash right now to dump? Or do you think that um, it's going to be more of trying to convince someone at a Grand Prix to trade in their EDH deck or modern deck, which are cards that they can easily sell um, and trade out of dual land? So do you think like the play for our listeners, because a lot of people want to get their first dual land or complete their set for EDH or whatever, do you think it's a good time to try and like trade your cyclonic rifts into underground seas do you think that they have more room to fall back down closer to 400 450 again um because that's where we're seeing heavily played on facebook for example that's what that price is about right now so if you were one of our listeners and you wanted to get a dual land for josh and ed would it be a good time for our listeners to start trading into um dual lands as they fall or to wait until december when things go down again And like obviously you guys have a biased opinion of what you're going to say, um, but do you think that it's time to start taking advantage of the fact that people are running out of money, people have too many duels,
1: and the market's starting to fall apart? So I'm not going to speak as to whether or not it's time for you to pick up your duels or not because I don't want to push any biased agenda on people. What I will say is the amount of people wanting to sell duels is currently greatly surpassing the amount of people who want to buy them. That's just the proven GP to GP standard. The amount of people who have come to sell duels versus the amount of people who've inquired about buying them is just astronomically spread. And hopefully that all came across clear. I'm not sure that Greg Vai would be speaking yet.
0: No, you're good, Ed. What are your thoughts? Um, I think
1: if you're like if
0: you're
3: looking to buy. Like, now is probably a reasonable time to buy. Like, even at its low right now, we're still looking at roughly, like, 10 to 15% more than what the prices are looking like, uh, like, kind of January, February, kind of towards the beginning of this year when duels were at their previous, like, peak. Um, And, like, they obviously rose to higher peak, and now we're kind of, like... We're kind of, like... We're kind of seeing the bottom where it's at. And even so, like, I don't know how much longer uh will will hold at this bottom one because summer is basically almost over like i think uh i want to say like school has started like jeremy you said school started for you this last
0: week. week last week La- yeah
3: last week um uh so like the people who are starting to go back to school like now that you know they're done with vacation or whatever they can start real looking at maybe spending more time with like magic or something um like, as for our people go by, like, I, similar to Josh, I don't really want to, like, influence one people, like, people one way or another on this. People should make their own decision. um I, Like, it's my opinion, and a few others seem to share his opinion, that, like, in a few months, like, duels will probably start rising against, um, because we always see this happen during, like, quarter three to quarter four.
0: I would argue um, it's quarter three more than quarter four. Right, right. More um, of the
3: growth. But the growth will happen, and we're looking at situations where um, um, I, I think you'll actually rebound much harder. Like we saw a pretty heavy rebound kind of like towards April, which began with like Tabernacle, that kind of caused the massive run on Reserveless cards. I think we'll see a similar rebound in Reserveless cards, especially now that so many people have dumped cards. Um, any vendor that realistically is holding on to these cards, they're the ones with all with with like. With the power play here because you know the people they like buy prices rose so much that they convince people to sell their entire legacy decks and then you know we have the uh the grand prix schedule announcement you know anytime probably within next day or two if not within a month and what happens if like wizards decides to run back like more legacy grand prix there's gonna be another team pro tour if there's a reason for people to continue to keep or if there's a reason for people to need legacy cards again that's just going to like cause all these all these cards to just bounce back in value, um, which I think is a way that all this is headed. Um, but it's it's a little too soon to tell. I think if anyone's on the edge and you find like a reasonable deal from someone who's just looking to recuperate their costs on their underground tier or something, I don't think trying to snatch it up is like the most unreasonable play you can make.
0: You know, and I think you hit the the nail right on the head there. Um, a lot of people who Look at the MTG finance market. Either extended themselves too far in the hype up to GP Vegas that I've talked with, where they went. It, it seemed like no matter what you bought, that was on the reserve was just like cryptocurrency. You couldn't lose. It was just like free free money. Like Opal Essence was a dollar. It went to ten dollars. It's like a great return, even if you're buy listing them out uh for three or four. uh Same thing happened with Sarah Sanctum. Basically, any card on the reserve list, as you guys are aware. Um, But a lot of people put too much money into buying these cards. And like Ed said, they're starting to dump them to sell. Um, So I've had a lot of people that uh, not necessarily backpack grind because that's basically dead, but they buy their local collections on Craigslist and stuff and they're completely tapped out. um, And that they have no money whatsoever to speak of going into the end of the year. So they're just like trying to get what they paid for it closer to pre-spike value uh just to have a cash infusion. But on the other hand, we have the people like Ed, of course, who called this ahead of time, where you cashed out at Vegas and now you're relatively heavy with cash, or at least you have an easier you you have an easier job of buying bigger collections that are walking in now compared to a lot of people that have already overextended into stuff like power, duels, treacheries, palancrons,
1: all that stuff.
0: Um, so I think
1: yeah. So the one no. thing I would say, power has been moving and power has yeah. been moving well. Duels have drastically slowed down. And I'm curious of Ed's opinion on this old school stuff, like the market for that just seems to have fallen off the face of the planet.
0: Uh, I can actually give you uh, anecdotal evidence on that. We have old school events at our legacy events and our modern events, and we had a really good turnout for the last one. And I still cannot keep a single old school card in stock. Whether that's bringing them to events that I vend at or just having customers walk into the shop and buy them. Um, I think I literally only have Commons from the Dark, Arabian Nights, Legends, and Antiquities left. Like we've sold everything that's uncommon or higher rarity um, at TCG pricing. Uh, That's just because Missouri is starting to um, turn into an old school scene. We also had, if you weren't aware, Josh, the um, old school players' ball happened in Chicago this weekend. Uh, It was one of the biggest old school events outside of a GP and it sold out a week after they announced it. Um, they announced like emergency seats last minute, uh, two weeks ago, I want to say. And it was still just an obscenely huge amount of people that showed up for the old school players ball. And as like, I talked to one backpack grinder who went up there with just like extra old school stuff to bird the matches. And he sold almost everything. Um, especially.
1: Cause like I said, from what we're seeing at GPs, right. People trying to dump old school stuff and people not trying to pick it up. At least that's yeah. the thing we're seeing. These
0: old school players are now starting to shift to events where it's they can. Tr- they were clearly intoxicated at this uh, this uh, event offsite, away from a grand prix, and they're starting to rent hotel rooms and make it into their own format where they play on their own terms, on their own time, and they don't have to deal with channel fireball. Um, so, because I cater a lot to these old school players who uh, want to play in events that are not linked to Grand Prix's and they have pretty deep pockets. It's been pretty good for me. Um, just like taking pictures of stuff that comes walking in and then just moving it the next day. Uh, but obviously the hardest part with high-end cards is Ed knows is connecting buyers with, with uh, your stock. Cause it's not in, you know, not many people come in and say, yes, I'd like to buy four near mint alpha Savannah lions and like just wipe my card. We're good.
1: Right. that's what brings me back to as a gp vendor i'd rather have cryptic commands or right yeah things that people are like yep need this have it much wider client base
0: correct uh jim is there anything you want to add with reserveless specifically when it comes to edh or casual formats um generally speaking commander players don't like
2: go out and buy into hype they're more... Historically, to me, they've been more likely to react to new cards being printed. So it's a little surprising to me to see that uh, Sagan really hasn't moved all that much since the last Commander set came out, since there was an Enchantress deck in there. But I think that some Commander players at this point might just be priced out of buying very expensive list cards and have just been doing without them. Um, we could see with the price of the battle bond lands which i don't think are particularly good but are still like five or six dollars for no real reason are they more than that
0: keep going we cannot keep the blue black one in stock for seven and a half
2: that's see that's that's what i'm saying that was like they'll spend eight dollars on a underground sea that you can't fetch rather than eight hundred dollars on one that you can and like i feel like there's a world of difference in terms of the playability of those lands but it doesn't seem to stop people from going for the cheaper alternative. So I think that a lot of the commander cards that are reserve list cards are that people just can't buy them they don't want to. They don't want to spend that much money on them. Like a guy's cradle is the cost of like an entire commander deck for some people
0: do you guys regret not cashing out of the Reserveless hype at Vegas or did you follow accordingly and actually cash out? Cause I speak, I know I speak for myself when I did not liquidate enough Reserveless cards at the height of its hype.
2: I mean, you could look at it that way, but like, honestly, aren't we just going to go back to the cycle where they're more expensive than they were before, like
0: when they were then. Right. But there's always that regret of, I could have just rebought them for like 30% less than what I paid a couple months ago. For them,
2: uh, I mean, it depends on who you are. Like, I have some reserve list cards. I probably should have sold them. I didn't, but I'm not mad that I didn't because I'll just sell them eventually anyway. Like, I'm not in a rush to get money out of them, but I also think that they're too much going to be owned, like, for me to own them for very much longer. If you're a player or you're a casual, even if you're just a casual player that owns a bunch of reserve list cards, you're not sure what to do with them. I don't think you should feel bad that you didn't sell them at Vegas, but just wait to the next big spike and then you can get rid of them, then. Yeah. Josh
1: or Ed? Uh, so I actually didn't have that much reserve list up, full disclosure. but I have been shifting my business model to trying to focus on fast-moving, liquidable items rather than big-ticket items. I don't mind having a set of power in stock, but I see no reason to have 40 of any given dual or 10, even 10 of any given dual in stock anymore. Like two to three copies of anything high-end is really all I've found the need.
0: Ed I think
3: like part of it's a matter of perspective. Um like I've I've met some people with really, really deep pockets, like more than like store owners who we're talking about. Um some of these people have really deep pockets, they don't seem to care, mainly because they're looking at it purely from investment uh perspective. Um, I'm kind of in the same way. I actually have like a very, very large stash of reserve list cards. That I've just been buying and kind of uh just hanging on to one because I see no read like no reason to get rid of it quickly um it's one of those things I'll just naturally appreciate over time um which is why like you know I have I have a bunch of old school stuff that if I find the right price for it, I will and in theory I could ask almost any any price I want and I'll probably get it because you know like you know what does someone want to pay me on Alpha Wrath of God right I could probably bring it put- to St. Louis and find out for right. Right. <laughs> right, like, like I could probably put, like, some obnoxious price tag on it, and it's a non-zero chance that someone will buy it, mainly because Old School is a format where, with Deep Pockets, it doesn't matter, right? Because a lot of these things, the issue is not the money, the issue is the availability, which is a lot of what Magic is. You're just looking at on a different scale, right? And that's, like, a big part of why people play the game. They don't actually care about having their deck complete,
0: but they're more interested in trying to work towards the pieces to get their deck. Um right. I've also noticed a general trend with old school players where they've literally sold everything they own. That is an old school. And they're willing to take like a ma- and like, I'm not saying I do this, but they're willing to take a massive loss in trade just to like finish black bordering their deck. So like all of a customer say like, do you have a black bordered underground i I'm like, no. And they're like, all right, I'm just going to mail this thing to channel fireball and like order it from them because I just want to finish this and I'm tired of owning cards. Um, that's like a, a more recent trend in old school because I know we've sort of been on top of the old school market since like it became a thing because that was a big part of my customer base. Um, but it seems like the old school community is just shifting like from Grand Prix to private events and from owning a modern deck, a legacy deck, and an old school deck that's white-bordered to just owning a black-bordered old school deck as both an investment and a way to play. But uh, sorry to interrupt you, Ed. Just wanted to... Say something. Yeah, no, like I I think it's a very valid point. Like I think
3: realistically, if you were to truly like park your place in one place in magic, like old school is probably the way to go. Um, again, it's one of those things where it's more or less just like transcended what magic is, basically. Um, right, because it's it's like the way people start out with playing old school, a lot of people just kinda of, like sneered at it and said, like, you know, this is a format that's just going to die. Um, Mainly, like, it's like, like, this is, we're talking like hyper vintage, basically, right? You're not look like you don't have cards like, you know, you don't have a win condition that costs you $5, like Monster Mentorum, or, you know, your win conditions are, you know, if you're wanting to do it right, like Beta Savannah Alliance that costs $300 each or something. Um, And you need four of these, right? And like, the list goes on, like, Thunder Spirits are like $180, et cetera. Um, And the people who can afford this, Again, most of them don't care because they're the type of people that don't play magic all the time. They're happy to have something expensive that they can hold on to and just are guaranteed returns on. And to me, like, I'm kind of in that same boat. Um, I was in that same boat with, like, Masterpieces a year ago, and it paid off for me, mainly because it's one of those things where scarcity is not something that's highly uh, perceived anymore. Magic mainly because there's nothing that's really scarce anymore um nexus of fate was one of the recent things that we perceived as being rare and then it turned out it wasn't right but a lot of people the nexus of fate price like the needle hasn't really moved because people still perceive it to be rare mainly because you know you can go to a grand prix you can play the ptq the likelihood that you op- like that you will be able to open up a card or to fairy still reasonable there's 0% chance that you will be able to open up or at this point buy or acquire a nexus of fate without going through the second uh, hand market um and I think like the scarcity just is starting to speak volumes to people of like how rare some of this old school stuff is. Like nineteen thousand copies of, of legends Rare, like nineteen thousand copies of tabernacles. That's really not very many to go around. Um, and you can just kind of scale it down. You can look at print runs, which we've talked about in episodes past.
0: Yeah. Plus, people like throw away tabernacles. I found I found a mint tabernacle in bulk last year and like paid the guy like what it was worth. But like people throw Tabernacles out, they spill water on them. There's probably, like, 400 Tabernacle of Ginger Ales out there, if I had to guess as well. Uh, It's just one
1: of those things. I mean, the amount amount of stuff that has been destroyed over the years, from 93 to, like, probably 98, it's got to be astounding. Yeah. We don't have... What are the exact numbers? I don't know the exact numbers on Alpha Parent Runs and stuff.
0: 1,100 rares. And one of the guys who I got that insane collection from last year, he brought me two, like... Wash bit like what are those big tubs? They're like wash tubs or whatever. The big plastic tubs of magic cards that were all in mint condition. And he told me straight up he thought he threw out the third one in like 2002. And like, God knows what was in that because I know how much I paid him for the other two tubs,
1: right?
0: Um, like, so it was just crazy.
1: Was probably in their parents' basement, people's basements. I'm sure, like, I don't know where my stuff is from again. I didn't play during 92 93, don't get me wrong, I was two and three years old, but like, I threw out my stuff from the early 2000s. Right.
0: I had a friend go to an estate sale in St. Louis on Saturday, and there were hundreds of Magic players that showed up for this, um, unbeknownst to him that there was going to be this many people that had zeroed in on the estate sale because it was a guy who passed away in his 70s. But I guess he had bought like Alpha through Prophecy, um, sealed product and singles uh, when he was in his 50s, I guess. And they just found them as they were doing the estate sale and they took a picture and it was like a stack of sealed or saga boxes and like a stack of older boxes and all this other stuff that there's, you really don't find that in the wild anymore. Um, So everyone had like showed up to try and uh, get a piece of that action essentially. Um, So I'm, you know, especially in the next 20 years as people start getting older, not necessarily that they die, but like they start moving houses, stuff like that. You're going to, Continue to see all these old collections be on Earth, but it won't come close to the amount of stuff that's been destroyed over the years. So, I think we're also—I
3: don't know if the, I had this conversation on here, but I think we're not far away from people starting to like, like, start like writing magic cards into their into their will or something. I think I had this conversation with Josh. Wait, you don't
0: have your magic cards written into your will? All right, know. I'm on my way to Ed's house right now with an axe. You're uh, right there. But like, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, this
3: like, it's this asset, right, you can have like a deck box worth like, you know, like $25,000 at this point, which is like a far higher concentration of assets in like that little space you can have in anything else, basically, right? Like you can have, you can have your crypto stored on like in cold storage on a thumb drive, in theory, right, that could be worth more. But like, you can have
0: your airline miles be put in your will unless you're on Delta.
3: Does, it, does American Roy really let you transfer? Yeah,
0: they let you transfer it as long as it's in your will. That's crazy. Yeah, and, to, uh, to put it in uh, your
2: perspective for anyone wondering at home, any any Magic card that's I think over like $110 is worth more than its weight in gold.
0: I thought it was 85
2: I was being, I, I was just, I don't know what the current price of gold is, but I was being conservative.
0: Ah. Oh. So. Yeah, you're. I know that Jace the Mind Sculptor is
1: worth its weight in gold. At retail, but yeah, that was you and I who had that conversation because we discussed how, like, what happens if one of us were to die? Like, the magic cards and stuff need to be handled right because outside of the people in our community, my family personally knows nothing about magic. Like, I don't I can't speak for your families, but they wouldn't have the slightest idea what to do if something ever happened to me.
2: I, I my dad found a bunch of magic cards in our garage and mailed them to me. And I didn't even know what they were, and it turns out that I had, like, six tropical islands, two volcanic islands, and two underground seas that I don't remember ever owning, but were apparently in the pile of cards he sent me.
0: I've got it in my will.
2: I don't have a will. I'm not planning on dyeing it. I'm not uh, as old as you, Jeremy.
0: Mm, yeah, once you lose your hair, you gotta start thinking about these things. That's why we have to get Ed to a lawyer in the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, I don't have a hard will, but I do have a document in my safe that says exactly what needs to happen should anything happen to me.
0: Yeah, and that's something that our listeners should think about if their collection is even in the mid four figures, which I'm guessing like people who have been playing for 5 or 6 years, they've probably put in four figures worth of money into the game at this point. So it's definitely worth like notifying someone about it or like leaving a letter in a bank vault. So And if you haven't gotten insurance yet, I mean, I think we've talked about that forever on like whether or not you should get insurance or like how to store your magic cards. We've talked about that forever, but what we haven't talked about is our credit winner of the week, Jim. All I have to say
2: is our listeners are slacking this week. You had a 33% chance to win the credit this week because there were only three questions.
0: We had a ton last week. We had dozens of questions last week
2: yeah they probably asked you how to leave a question and then you ignored them because we say it literally every week you can leave a comment on the the cool dot com page where our article or our podcast gets posted but this week our winner is joshua hull who asks true what is your stance on investing in the sdcc planeswalkers when they come out each year is it a great spec or are there better options um, speaking purely as a not a store, I guess, like I I am mostly just a player and I own cards mostly for the sake of playing with them. Um SDCC things are kind of obnoxious to get if you're in San Diego and you can get them for MSRP, it's not awful, but I wouldn't go out of my way to purchase them. I don't think that it's particularly, Fast maturing investment, but you could probably flip it for what you more than what you paid for it If you go to the event itself or you're able to order them online Um, So I would say if you want to play with them sure go ahead if you don't want to play with them You're better off spending your money on other things
3: Uh, My big my biggest problem with this and other like just kind of steel product in general is is it a good investment? Probably, right? Like, it's just like every other limited edition item out there, right? Like, it's you're paying, like, the MSRP price if you got it at, like, San Diego Comic Con or you were able to order it on the Hasbro website or wherever. You're paying, like, $80 to $90. Great. What happens when, if you've been collecting these since the beginning, like, somehow you still have all, for example, right? That's, like, seven years' worth, right? The stack of planes, if you have one of each, right, the stack is, like, this big. Right, like what is this amount of space worth to you, right? And then if you add that to however much other sealed product you collect, right? Like let's say you have like one booster box of every set since the same amount of time, since 2011. If we were looking at uh four four base sets a year plus like 1.5, so we'll just say it, like one suppo- like one supplementary product set that comes out. That's five sets a year over seven years. That's 35 booster boxes. That's uh that's almost six cases worth of product, right? You're looking at space like that's this, I can't really, probably, like, this much space or something, right? Like, what is that, like, space equity worth to you? Which is why, like, for, like, I can't really suggest holding on to this stuff, mainly because I just value having the space so much more. And then you start having to deal with issues of, like, you know, like, how are you you actually going to sell this if you have to ship the box as a whole and the box gets damaged or whatever, right? Like, do you really want to deal with that? A lot of times, honestly, uh, with SDCCs, you're almost better piecing them out as singles and trying to sell them individually because the likelihood of someone who will want one for their EDH deck times five, it's much higher than the number of people out there as one person who actually wants to buy the sealed deck at the inflated uh, market price of whatever it is. Um, that's where I stand on it. Again, I don't really like to own just like very, like very things that just take up a lot of space, the equity, like... actual like space for me is much too high so like just click that pen one more time ed um please click it again um like uh, i i would never advocate holding on to sealed product like does it does it gain well sure right like is it like are you likely to have like a collector's edition set that you've been holding on to since the beginning that's appreciated for like three thousand dollars? Like twelve thousand dollars, if you did, great for you. But the likelihood of like any one of these projects falling into our trajectory is pretty low.
0: Josh, what are your thoughts on the SDCC uh, planeswalkers? Do you look at the box set as an investment, or do you think there's better options? Like what our uh, credit winner Josh is also
1: asking. Honestly, if it weren't for people putting them on Facebook, I couldn't care less they exist. They're just the something to buy and resell. Like as singles, like I will break up any set that's brought to the booth. I'm not gonna look tote a box around. I am absolutely. It's the same thing with FTVs. Just not about toting the boxes around. I'll break them every time. Space is at a huge premium, especially when you have to be able to fit everything within three suitcases for a show.
0: Jim,
2: Uh, I just wanted to also point out that like some of these also come with like a bunch of rando things that are gigantic, like. uh, I think last year's had the big Nicobolas planeswalker poster and then there was one that came with an art book and there was one that came with a giant nerf axe. Like this is also stuff that you don't wanna to have to sell if people wanna buy the whole thing together. So at that point it's just a you know, it's just five singles. I think that if you're going to do that, that's probably your best bet. I agree with everyone here.
0: I don't mind it if you have the discretionary income. I think if you're investing in magic, you should always diversify uh, how you're investing into the game. And this could be like a creative way to, if you have like a thousand dollar budget, put 10% of your budget aside into this specifically. Um, But I would, I think, and Ed said this a bunch, that there's always going to be a better investment. And the fact that a lot of people have access to this at the same price means that you're going to have to wait years as these people either Tire of like holding them as an investment that doesn't pay off, like cons of Tarkir boxes or um, collectors absorb the new Therese Nielsen art um, and then finally demand outpaces supply. But there's going to be a lot of supply out there for the next couple of years. So just like the from the vaults, you're going to have to wait three plus years to see any real increase barring a specific card and they're becoming way more
1: in demand than normal. Uh, Take a look at the zombie ones, for example. People who even got the zombie ones at MSRP are taking losses on them now. Right. You can't even move them for MSRP.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good data point. This is why we have vendors on the cast, guys. It's almost like they know what they're talking about because they have to make a living out of it. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh, it, it's uh, it's definitely something that like, if you have a big enough magic budget, or like, if you just always wanted to have it like displayed on your shelf and have it double as an investment, sure. But practically speaking, there's probably something better you can do with your money.
1: I just stand right sure. on the zombie one. Sorry, the zombie one has the Lily of the Last one in it, which surpasses. Right. It. You're thinking uh, about the one before that. I drew a blank on the name of it, but there's one of the uh, SDCCs that you just can't get out of, no matter how hard you try for any reasonable number.
0: It's the one with flip J's because they reprinted all the walkers and the ftv flip. That would be my guess.
2: No, the black the black on black Plains walkers I think are okay in price. It might is it is it not the most like the second most recent set which is the online kit like weird hieroglyphic ones.
1: Pretty sure it's the hieroglyphic ones because I think the Nicol Bolas and the Chandra are, are worth and change. The Jays
0: Cutting Castaway is $15. Like
1: the rest of them are just not worth anything. Yeah, Yeah, it's that one. Gondra's just on its way down so bad.
0: Yeah. Um, So thank you for the great question, Josh. Jim, where can people remember to leave a comment this week?
2: Uh, If you'd like to win your free $25 of coolsoftinc.com store credit, you can leave a question on the coolstuffinc.com page that will go up Tuesday, uh, August 28th. And you could leave a question on the article. If you get selected to win, you can send an email to Aristocrats at gmail.com. So Josh, you'll need to send me an email and I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com.
0: And let's touch on one more topic before we get out of here, which is the new decks that were announced today not only do they have another name to them but they're also technically not legal than standard with standard cards coming out as like a standard push product uh jim do you want to sort of let our listeners know what's going on
2: sure so there are two different products coming out uh or at least that they announced today one of them is called uh, i believe game night and it's five Five monocolored decks with some new cards and some M19 cards, I believe. And then, like, each one of them comes with a promo mythic that's not available anywhere else. And it's okay. they are um, also
0: reprinting Galta and Banalish. Uh, yo, man, I'm not done. Etc. All
2: right, go for it. So, the MSRP is $40. It comes with five decks. Um,. Like he was saying, it comes with a Galta. It comes with um, a Psy Master Thopterist. There's a Death Baron, a Grave Marshal. Um, there's some other like kind of weird stuff. There's a Siege Gang Commander. I don't think that's worth anything. But like, there's just a bunch of like weird things in these decks. Um, some of them are standard legal. Some of them are not. The new cards are not standard legal. But have this weird multiplayer thing to them. I don't know how else to describe that. There's a Mythic in each deck. There's only one copy. They're new cards that care about how many opponents you have and do something based on the number of opponents that you have. Um, these could be, like, reasonable-ish cards in Commander, depending on, like, what you're trying to do. Um, I think that the zombie one is probably the best one out of all of them. But I'm not sure what these are going to end up retailing for. Um... And then the other thing is that the gift pack that they did last year, which had five Promo Basic Lands, Zev, and a Metalwork Colossus foil, has been revamped. And it comes with four booster packs from Core Set 2019, five foil Basic Lands that are from different artists, um, a spin down die, and then five creature cards that are not in m19 but are standard legal for some reason and they're new but they're like a million mana so i'm not really sure what to do with them like they have some unique effects and there's one for each color but i don't know that any of these are going to be very desirable and if they are desirable like i don't know what the what the ceiling could be for them because the box itself is only twenty dollars it comes with four booster packs
0: makes sense uh do you have any reactions to this or were you just trying to sleep all day uh the biggest problem with something like this is that depending
3: on how the price breakdown of the singles goes um so there's there's two parts to this right we have the cards are being reprinted so the first problem that causes is like uh graveyard marshall uh what was the other uh, galtha um Death like Baron, right? Like these are three cards, like uh, that are non-bulkish cards that do provide some amount of value to Core Nineteen. Um, like we knew that Galto was going to be reprinted in something else. That's fine. Just
0: to uh, just to give you, it's not from Core Nineteen. Um is from Ixalan. So, just throwing that in their head. Right, right.
3: Um, but like those are all like the value in those sets is already pretty bad. So you're just further disincentivizing people to... I have 7% battery left. Um, all you're doing is further disincentivizing people to open these cards. Or, or like open up the actual sets themselves. Um, which is going to create problems uh, further down the line with Mythics. Because there's going to be huge bottlenecks on Mythics. Uh, one, because it's you're basically forcing people to get sets via Redemption. Um, otherwise, because it's just not cost efficient to open... Uh, those sets the flip side of that problem is that if the value is actually good enough based on the singles that are not um, in standard like the whatever they are like the what the commander ish card of each color if they are actually good enough it's likely that vendors will just be paying the whatever the cost is and busing them because the value itself is pretty good if you factor in getting it at cost but not at MSRP because like Jim said, there's like a decent amount of reprints. How many how many booster packs were in there? Eight or something? Six? Uh the so there's two
2: different products. The game night thing, which comes with the five commander cards and the five decks, does not, I believe,
3: have does not have any booster packs. The gift one is the one that has booster packs in it. Yeah, the gift
2: box has four booster packs.
3: Okay. Yeah, so like last year, like we basically just bought one of our distributors out of uh the gift boxes. Allegedly. And- and, you know, we, we actually did this. <laughs> we just bought them out, cracked all of them, because the four packs themselves basically cover the cost of the box, and then you can list the standard show on lands that come inside as, like, it's just free money on top, basically. Um, and I kind of foresee that happening, because otherwise I just don't see the direction of, um, like, like who the, who these products are marketed for. So that's like kind of my call with them, but it's just like it's quarter four, and they need to come out with like these goofy things to get uh like gift shopping parents or whatever. Uh a, like an easy magic product that people can get into.
0: Anything you wanna add, Josh?
1: I have very little insight to the supplemental seal products that come out because I don't have a physical store in America. So I don't keep track of any of this stuff as I only care about what I can bring to shows and what I can liquidate online. And I value my space quite highly as Ed was mentioning previously. So storing tons and tons of boxes in my office seems pretty subpar.
0: I'm pretty happy about the Death Baron reprint because this is a card players are always asking for. And even with like the new $3 price or whatever, like we still can't keep it in stock. So if it goes lower, I'm happy about that. Uh, it makes it a little easier to buy for me um, when you can you can convince a player to part with a $2 card instead of like a 3 or $4 card, um, and then they'll just sell better because they're cheaper. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going as deep on Death Baron as a spec now as before, um, but it should be a pretty high-volume, low-margin card for sure. Um, I'm not happy about Galta getting hit again. That's not great for me. I do not really have any Galtas, but um, I feel like that's... One of the cards that helped keep Ixalan block um, somewhat valuable, I guess, on estimated EV. Obviously, we're going to see some Ixalan stuff pop next year and at the end of this year when uh, Kaladesh finally rotates. But that was like one of the cards that you could have potentially just held through rotation and probably done pretty fine on. And now it's getting harder to justify that. Um, But yeah, it's like another thing for shops to sell because we haven't gotten, you know, 18 million supplemental products this year. So, you know, like every shop has probably three or four supplemental products from this year just sitting on their shelves that they have too many of at this point. So why not throw another couple into the loop so new players still have no idea what's going on and then make some of the cards only available in these supplemental products,
1: um, which is another problem. It does almost feel like the downloadable content.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great take.
1: Here's everything. But wait. We have more, but you got to buy it separately. Right.
0: Well, we can rename Wizards of the Coast to uh, EA Sports, I guess. Um, You guys want to get into Pick of the Week so we can get out of here?
2: Only if you make Ed go first
0: because he's not ready. All right. Mr. 5% Battery, what is your Pick of the Week as usual? Uh, There's two of them that are pretty close to being in the same vein. Uh, The first one
3: is, uh, what's the name of this card? Wayward Swordtooth. uh, Rivals with It's rare. Um, this card is actually worth something despite the fact that it sees zero competitive play. It's a pretty dumb, dorky card. Uh, as a refresher, it's the three mana five five from uh, Rivals of It uh, uh, Allows you to explore each turn, and it can't attack or block unless you have the city's blessing. Um, this card is like actually uh, one of the most valuable cards in the set now. Like it's one of the most valuable rares, considering how Galtha is getting hit uh, with another. Uh, reprint s type thing um it's it i can't really figure out why it's good it it seems impossible to keep in stock i think that just a big part of the problem is that rivals exxon was just not a big hit and almost none of it was open relative to the other sets so it just seems like supply on rivals of exxon as a whole is extremely short um so i'm a fan like i think almost like every like rivals of Ixlon Mythic that's over like two dollars has been my pick at some point like this past year. Um I'm actually looking at it right now. I don't actually know which one of these I haven't picked as one of my pick of the weeks. And now like the rares are starting to look promising. Like I know, like I've said Golfa before. Um I think I picked Radiant Destiny and now like Wayward Saber Tooth, uh, Wayward Sword Tooth is kind of in that same boat. Um similarly I also like Vivian Reed despite the fact that she basically only sees, like, fringe play in the, um, like, the monogamy deck, uh, basically hasn't really fallen that much from her original price. I think pre-order is, like, $8, and it's now, like, seven, like, slightly less than $7. Um, That just goes to show, like, how bad uh, Core 19 is in terms of value, uh, which makes me think, like, the Mythics will continue to be valuable. Um, The reprint cards, Crucible... Uh, omniscience and Scape Shift have basically bottomed out. And now it's like, it's just these few cards that people are hoping there's competitive play. Like nickel bowl is just kind of dropping a little bit. A Johnny has dropped. Um, uh, uh, but otherwise, like once these cards kind of, I can't see how much lower these cards can get because there's like in another Two weeks or whatever once people start stop opening these there's just gonna be like no more core 19 and i imagine we'll kind of have a situation that's kind of similar to rivals Exon, where these cards are worth something not because they're actually good but because there's just so much demand and no one's opening more of the
0: product yep josh you have a pick of the week for us
1: i was actually going to comment on the wayward sword suit that i didn't mention i did not have a pick of the week by the way because i don't actually follow this super closely unfortunately but I've been listing Wayward Sword toots and cannot keep them in stock. The foils are over $20. Like The card just seems great to spec on. It's an Azusa with a potentially large slinging body.
2: Yeah, to- the, the reason I think that it's pretty expensive is because exploration style effects are not typically very cheap. Your only other options are exploration itself, which is like $20 or more, and Oracle of Multia, which is also like 35 35 oh yeah. yeah. Like I said, there's an unreasonable price. Like People will pay 4 or $5 for the much cheaper, much worse version. Um, but my pick this week is Jade Light Ranger. Uh, the next set is Guilds of Ravnica, and it will include um, much like I picked last week, it'll include uh, the Golgari Guild. Golgari is usually pretty mid range and pretty grindy, so uh, right now, G Light Rangers are like four dollars or less. I can't imagine that they go lower than that, and they were much more expensive earlier in standard. So, uh, they could get they could see a lot of play again and get quite expensive.
0: It's a good pick, yeah. Um, wayward we sword tooth has certainly landed in a general positive consensus for players. Um, I I haven't I've been keeping that more in stock than whatever that fungus producer thing is from Rivals. Anyone uh, know what the I'm talking tender about? Dry end. Yeah, tender shoot Dry. That's one that we still can't keep in stock. Uh, once again, I'm going to comment on the price of a couple cards that have gone up recently that I still have no idea why. Uh, if you were a shop trying to make um, Frontier happen, Hangerback Walker is now like thirteen dollars again. Which is crazy. It gets I know
2: why. There's a hardened hard, scales. Yeah, the hardened scales affinity deck is playing it.
0: Uh this is just another, hey, your LGS probably has them at three dollars. Like I know I definitely did. And then like once again someone comes in to buy them all and it's like, uh, oh, let me check the price. Like obviously we sold it to them for what it was on the shelf for, because to not do that would be illegal in the state of Missouri, cough cough competitors. Um, but uh yeah, it's just like, huh. I know that card went back up to its normal price, so I guess you can always take advantage of me for getting to reprise stuff. Um, it was but, also part of the Bridgevine deck. right? Bridgevine, like,
3: okay. Yeah, Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker, you have eight zero mana, uh, zero zeros. So,
0: um, The card, I think I already picked Fatal Push going into rotation, so I can't pick that one again. Um, or at least we talked about it last week. I'm really liking um, Steel Leaf Champion at rotation. Um Obviously, people are going to want to uh, play like a guild's deck uh, with like multiple colors, but I feel like it can easily slot in with the mana that we have right now. Uh, Even with Blooming Marsh rotating into like a Golgari deck or like a Gruul deck. So it's just something I want to keep my eye on. Um, Even with rotation, the Monogreen deck is a budget option that a lot of players like to look at. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, So it's just like a card that uh, it's going to be pretty stable in price, and there's a chance that it goes up and you get rewarded, and if not, you're still going to be able to trade these away to players as a standard pick. Um, non-standard birthing pod, card keeps going up. It doesn't matter anecdotally what I price it at. It just always sells. Um, and there's always that possibility every time of it getting unbanned, even though it may never happen. Just like Stoneforge, that helps drive its price just a bit. Uh,
1: Splinter Twin, let's talk about that getting unbanned.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be great.
2: Um, oh, I wish I have a whole binder of band cards I'd love to get on bands so I could sell them.
1: All right. Well, let's go ahead and
0: wrap this podcast up. Where can people find you guys and which Grand Prix will you guys be at uh going into the future?
3: I'm at N13 on Twitter. I will be in Richmond this weekend, assuming I'm not like dead by the time Thursday rolls around. Mm-hmm. Um I will be in Detroit next weekend, then I'll be in Stockholm the weekend after that. Uh, Shout out to all the people in Europe at uh, Prague who came up to me uh, and said hi.
1: Josh? I will be at every USGP, occasionally can be found in Japan, and I will be in Hong Kong. You can find me, Josh, on Facebook, because I still don't have Twitter or anything, because I'm an old man.
2: That's okay, we're all old, but Jeremy's the oldest. Uh, My name is Jim Casale. You can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore You can find my articles every other week on coolstuffinc.com. And if you followed me on Twitter You might have seen my post recently about the most expensive cards in modern and how recently they got reprinted if you're Wondering about to hear more about that stuff. I have an article that should be going up tomorrow to explain that graph a little bit better
0: i'm jeremy you can find me on twitter at MissouriMTG. our legacy 40 duel event is 86 percent sold out at the moment so once again just a reminder that ed and i will both be at that event in the great state of missouri um i am 52 percent to go to gp richmond right now i am like waffling every day on whether or not i want to subject myself to richmond that um, sounds like it
2: was higher than the amount the chance that you had to go to orlando
0: I mean, that was a different situation, but yeah. I will definitely not be going to Detroit, and then I believe I will be at Hong Kong the week after that. Um, thanks for listening to Cartel Finance. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on coolstuffinc.com, iTunes, mtgcast.com, YouTube, and I think that's all of them. I don't think I missed any this week. You forgot to plug your SoundCloud, man. Oh, yeah, we are on SoundCloud. That's right. I just paid the annual fee to keep us on SoundCloud, so... You know, we don't ask any money from you guys like other podcasts that have Patreon. So we appreciate you guys being able to listen for free. Um, but that's it. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Make sure to take some selfies with Ed at Richmond. And as always, have a good week. Thanks,